I want to start by just re re-saying lines we just sang. We just sang the, lo- the lines, you're all I want, you're all I need, Lord, you are my everything. You're all I want, you're all I need, you are my everything. We sang your presence living in me. Every chain will break at the mention of your name. You know, there's a certain knowing that we all have that we have to have him. We have to have him. I mean, for ourselves and to do what needs to be done in the earth, we have to have him. Right? But then there's that that other knowing that we do have him, so we're going to get this done. We're going to get this done, church. We are going to get this done. Why? Your presence living in me, every chain will break at the mention of your name. That's our job. What if God was looking at us tonight saying, you're all I want, you're all I need, you are my everything. We are his plan for this earth, the church. Ooh, that's good. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege. What a privilege to be an ambassador of the king. It's awesome. Um, tonight, I'm going to, I think both of us are going to talk about um, preparing for encounters, but um, the Lord took me to two specific encounters in the Word for tonight. And um, I think, I don't know if I want to jump right in, but I think it's to prepare us for encounters. Let me start by going to John 14. Let me explain. John 14. Nineteen. Jesus is talking to the disciples. (laughs) He's about to go. And he says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's an encounter. Right? That's an encounter. But he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Because he just got done saying, the world won't see me, but you'll see me. Because I'm going to manifest myself to you because you love me. You're going to do my commandments, right? So if we want encounters, if we want Jesus to manifest himself to us and through us, we have to love him and do his commandments, you know? Sometimes his commandments are talk to her, pray for him, right? It's the little things. It's not always the thou shalt not commit adultery, although that certainly is one. You know, but I mean, it's the little things he tells us to do. He didn't say, you know, he said, you'll love me and you'll do my commandments. So he's promising to manifest himself to us when we obey what he asks us to do. Right? All right, let's turn to John chapter 5. We have to learn about encounters by going to the word and finding out Jesus' encounters and learning from them, right? Right? 
So John chapter 5 is the story of Jesus going to this guy. He went to the pool guy. He went to the pool guy. And it says in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? There's so many things I could say about that right there. So many. Not, who was it that made you well? Oh my goodness, who was it that made you well? 38 years? No. Who was it that told you to take up your bed? I mean, talk about wrong focus. Anyway. Then they asked him, who's the man who said, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Great story, right? All right, let's talk about this story. So here is a man, typically when you go to scriptures and there's encounters, people were going to Jesus all the time. Here's a story of a man that was not going to Jesus, yet experienced an encounter. He wasn't even thinking about Jesus. And in fact, it sounds like he didn't even know who he was, right? So he wasn't looking for Jesus. Why? I mean, maybe because he only knew of one way to be well, or he thought there would be only one way for him to get well. And so he wasn't looking for other options. He only knew of that one way to get better. So he was fixated on the pool. Right? He wasn't leaving the pool. For 38 years, he wasn't leaving the pool. Maybe he didn't know this Jesus who could do this. Maybe he'd never heard. Maybe no one ever told him. Maybe. But here he was. He was upset about not having a man. He gets asked, do you want to be made well? And his first response is, I don't have a man. Speaking to a man, I don't have a man. Right? Well, the fact that Jesus was there that day, we know from scripture that Jesus only did what his father told him to do. There were a ton of people at that pool that day. Why this one? Because he was sent to this one. Why was he sent to this one? Something tells me this guy had to have been crying out. His first response was, I don't have a man. You tell, don't even try to tell me he wasn't crying out to God, I need a man. I need a man to help me, God. 38 years I've been trying to get in this pool. Who knows if it was once a month? I don't know. Once a week? And he wasn't getting it. Once a day? And he wasn't getting in. And he needed a man. You can't tell me you need something like that and you don't mention it to God for 38 years. You reminded me of the story of Moses and the burning bush. Because God comes down to Moses and he says, the cry of my people, I've heard the cry of my people. Therefore, come, I'm sending you. The deliverer. And now here Jesus is at this pool. So I know God sent him to this man. I know he was probably crying out for a man. 
And here he was. Here was Jesus. (laughs) I think it's great that God responded to the faith of this man. Yeah, there were a thousand maybe other ways he could have been healed. And he totally didn't even know who Jesus was. But he thought he needed a man. So what did the father in his compassion do? Sent him a man. Isn't that just like our God? (laughs) So kind. So he met that man's faith. Jesus had a knowing that he was that man. That guy looked at him and said, I have no man. Jesus had a knowing, I'm the man. And he looked at him and he said, rise, take up your bed. It's so good. You know, today this is you and me. Church. His presence living in you. They don't see him. You do. You get the commands. Just like Jesus, the Father had to have told him to go. Just like he told Moses to go. There's going to be times, and I'm preparing you now. We're not covering encounter because pastor thought it was a snazzy title. It's what God said is coming. And it's encounters for us, sure. But, you know, we've had an encounter. And now he's abiding in us. You know, in that John 14 passage, Judas, you know, speaks up and says, Jesus, how is it that we're going to see you and the world's not going to see you? And Jesus again says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's how he's going to be manifested to you. He's going to be living in you. You're going to be led by him all day, every day. If we have ears to hear. Like Pastor Carla said, if we want to hear what he's saying, he's going to lead us to people. Plan on encounters tomorrow because you're hearing it tonight. (laughs) Jesus had a knowing that he was that man. God's going to send us to people who aren't even looking for us. You hear me? God's going to send us to people that aren't even looking for us. This guy was not looking for Jesus. He wasn't. But But Jesus had the answer. You have their answer. He's going to send you to people that are not even looking for you. So it's important that we're hearing. This man was so focused on the pool, he didn't even know who Jesus was. You know, when they asked him who was the man, did did he just not know his name? Or did he never look away from the pool to identify him, to be able to say, that's him over there? Because if you're watching for the movie in the water, you've been there 38 years, and someone comes up and asks you, do you want to be made well? You have to take your eyes off what you think is the answer to look at that. I don't know if he did or not. He couldn't identify Jesus. He might have never moved his eyes off that pool until Jesus said that, and then he still didn't look at him. Maybe the sun was in his eyes. Maybe Jesus was standing in front of him and he couldn't see his face. I don't know. I don't know. But what I'm saying is he could not identify the man. It's crazy. Later, he shows up and he tells him to sin no more. Because this guy didn't even know who he was. He didn't know him as the son of God. He didn't know God sent him. He knew the results, right? But God, in his graciousness, sent him a man. So God, in his graciousness, said, sin no more. He gave him the word to help his life. You know, religion will always, give, will always put rules over people. But Jesus will always give people the truth that will help them. You know, one time the Lord just gave me a 
quick understanding of that word truth, you know, because we know the truth will set people free. But that truth word, T-R-U-T-H, the right understanding to help. T-R-U-T-H, the right understanding to help. And if we just remember the truth will help, then we will give them the truth that will help, right? John 8. Let's go to the next example. John 8, verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. Did you read that in your Bible? All the people? All the people came to him? All of them came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, the midst of what? All the people. All the people. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. That's what the Bible says. That was the motive of their heart, right? But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again and spoke to the disciples. Here's another person that was not looking for Jesus. Right? Unexpected encounter with Jesus, I would say. Very unexpected. Right? Now, here they come. Their mentality is sin is bad, you know, and you're a sinner. Accusing her of sin, right? But Jesus told us the greatest commandment was to love God and to love one another as yourself. Like, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. So do you want your sin called out in a mo- of all the people? No. So in all reality, they were breaking the law as well. Right? It's funny that in this story, they brought this woman to Jesus, but like I, w- I was got through all my notes this afternoon and I was just resting, just waiting to see if Jesus had anything else to say to me today. And all of a sudden I laughed because the thought came up out of my spirit that these people came to Jesus. The reason it was so funny is because they, ca- they came nasty. Everyone say nasty. Nasty. Sometimes they're going to come nasty. To you. Are you going to give them Jesus? These people came nasty. You know what they got? Compassion. Graciousness. He could have thrown it in their face. I don't know if he was expecting it or not. I wouldn't have been. I would have had to gather myself for just a minute to give them Jesus. (laughs) You know? But even they came and found compassion. See, anytime people came to Jesus, they, that's what you're going to find, compassion. 
You're going to find compassion when you come to Jesus. When you have an encounter with Jesus. Now, he's still going to correct you. Anyone ever been corrected by Jesus? Oh, yeah, me too. But isn't he kind? He never beats you over the head or says, you're so stupid. You should have already known this. I've never heard him say those words. Not one time. But I've been corrected. So they still found compassion. What did he say? He didn't say, you hypocrites. You foolish. He didn't do any of that. He said, very graciously, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. He didn't even say, none of y'all are without sin. He didn't even say that. He just said, let them figure it out. He who's without sin, throw the first stone. And then he just went back to whatever he was doing and waited. And I think it's funny that the oldest left first. Sometimes years of experience teach you, you know, you're more readily able to admit, (laughs) you know. He is without sin, cast the first stone, and they all started going out conscious stricken. It's amazing to me how when religion puts rules over people, how they treat people. This poor lady. How embarrassing. The Bible doesn't tell us if this was a lifetime thing, this adultery, or the very first time she ever did it. We don't know. But how embarrassing. How humiliating. And Jesus looked at her. The Bible says, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. That literally means overcome by adultery. Doesn't that in and of itself cause compassion? When people are in sin, they're in darkness. They don't, they don't even, Jesus on the cross said they do not know what they're doing. That's true for every single one of us. When people are treating you poorly, when they're acting foolish, like fools, they, they're in darkness. They don't know what they're doing. And that needs to be our mentality. We need to be compassionate. They are in darkness. She was overcome by adultery. I don't know how she got swept into it. How do any of us get swept into sin? (laughs) Slowly, sometimes angrily, right? Who knows? She was caught in sin. And he said, I don't condemn you. You know, all of us, I know me. I'll just talk about me, not you. If Jesus said you get a do-over, you get all the knowledge you have, and you get to do this life over, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's great. I get a do-over. And I got to go through it all over again. I can guarantee you I'm probably still going to mess up. No matter how much I try. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> Emotions, not knowing, not, under, not having understanding in certain areas. Because no matter how much I've been through up to this point, I still don't know it all. And there's still more to learn. This life we're living is a lifetime of learning. Lifetime of learning. And guess what? God knows that. That's why he's compassionate. I love our God. (laughs) It says of our God, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. I mean, just if you just have honor for God, his mercy will be so great to you. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame that we are dust. 
Isn't that great? Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Joel 2 says he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. <laughs> Which reminded me of 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you, be of one mind. Can you hear God talking to all of us tonight? <laughs> Finally, all y'all, <laughs> be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Give them blessing for reviling, knowing that you were called to this. You're called to this. How are they going to see Jesus in you? Moved by compassion. It reminds me of Acts 26, 18. When, Paul, when Jesus called Paul, he said, Your job is to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. You know, I think it's Ephesians that says, pray that their eyes would be opened. Don't get caught up in their behavior. They're not your enemies. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them. Why? Because they're in darkness. They don't even know what they're doing. So if they, if you give them Jesus, you're giving them a chance. You're giving them an opportunity. That's why we say give them Jesus every week. Because you have him. And they need him. Right? They need him. Pastor Bill. Thank you, Jesus. He is so compassionate. Let me get Brother Osteen up here. You know, I don't think there is a a moment of our life that we shouldn't be thinking about the greatness and the goodness of God. He has been so good to you and I. He's been so merciful. He's just long-suffering with us. He's full of gentleness, kindness. Meekness. How can we possibly not love him? I know I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior when I was 21 years of age. Diane and I were already married. Uh, had been for a little while. And uh, I used to go to church with her whenever we were dating. Occasionally, I didn't go very often, but occasionally. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But I would go with her. And the reason I went with her was so I could hold her hand. That's the reason I went with her. So I could be with her next to her side. And then afterwards, we'd go have a Coke together. We would just enjoy one another's fellowship and that sort of thing. Uh, I made a promise to her that when we got married, that I'd go to church with her on Sunday. Well, I didn't. I went the first couple of Sundays, and that was the end of that. But she had a, she continued to go to church. She was faithful and everything else. And 
in so doing, uh, she told an evangelist that had come to their church to minister, said, my, my husband needs Jesus Christ, and I've done everything that I know to do. Now, what she didn't understand was at that time, Diane was not born again. She attended the church. She was faithful to church. But she didn't really know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She knew all about him, but she didn't know him. So anyway, this evangelist said, yes, I'll pray for him. Well, this evangelist didn't just pray for me. This evangelist came to my home on my day off. In the morning early, I was still in bed. And he knocked on my door and he told me that he was an evangelist from the church. And my first response was, is, uh, I don't need to hear anything that you have to say. I'm not interested. And he said, would you just give me a moment? I have a tremendous story I'd like to tell you. I want to tell you about a man that changed my life. He said, I was a member of the mafia. He got my attention. I was curious. A guy, I mean, a real guy from the mafia, come on. At my door, wants to talk to me. He came in. I invited him into the house. He came in. I'm going to make a long story short. But he came in and he shared with me his life being a member of the mafia in Detroit City. And what he was in charge of. And they put a contract out on him because he got greedy. And the Lord spared his life. And someone, he, he fled from the state, went into another state. And someone came along from a revival. They came up to his house or the place where he was staying uh, in trench coats and sunglasses. And he thought, it's over. They finally found me. Well, they came. They were in a revival down the street, and they were out soliciting people to come to the revival. So he was so shocked by them coming, he committed to come. Well, he came. He shared his life. Then he shared pictures of his life with me. And he said, Phil, he said, it's so easy. He said, I'm not here to beg you. Your wife just asked me to pray for you. I just got the inspiration to come and just uh, ask you to experience what I've experienced and just to tell you my story. And as I listened to him, all I could, all I could sense and feel was the compassion of the Lord. He was genuine. He was real. He was honest. He was up front. He wasn't trying to force me. He wasn't trying to make me. He said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'd be happy to lead you to the Lord, but it's your choice. And I said, "If his name was Brother Bill. I said, Brother Bill, if I can have what you have, I'll take it. I said, but I don't know that I'm going to go to any churches or not. He said, that's fine. He said, if we get the spider out, all the cobwebs will take care of themselves. I said, okay, I don't know what you mean by that, but 
He said, we get the spider out. I thought, I ain't got a spider. <laughs> no, but I got a dead spirit that needs to be brought back to life. And my, the ways that I was living, of course, were not pleasing to the Lord. I'm sharing all this with you because the person that I want to talk to you about tonight, about the encounter, is not myself, but one that was of, of a likeness in life. His name was Saul of Tarsus. You've all heard of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the great apostle. Saul of Tarsus, he loved God, but he, he, he wasn't in right relationship with God. He didn't know the plan that God had sent. And so open up your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. While you're turning there, I told Brother Bill, I said, Brother Bill, I'll take what you've got. I said, what do I need to do? He said, well, you can get born again right here in your house. I said, fine. He said, well, what do I need to do? What do I say? He said, just follow me. He said, get on your knees next to your couch here and let's pray. I'll just lead you in a, in a prayer. And you just say what I say. He said, there's two things that you need to do. He said, you need to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you need to believe in your heart. Now, the first one I can help you with, but the second one I can't help you with. That's a decision that you have to make in your own life. It takes two things, Phil. It takes a confession of your mouth and a believing in your heart. And he says, I'm going to help you with the confession of your mouth. But if you'll just believe what I'm sharing with you and accept that, He'll come into your life and you'll be born again right now. So I did that. Are you at Acts? Chapter number nine. The apostle, or at this time, he's just Saul. In verse number one, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slander against the disciples of the Lord, he went into the high priest. And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, or to the churches, to the local churches in Damascus, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, how many of you know he had good intentions? He wanted to do what was right, and he thought what he was doing was right. But how many of you know he was wrong? He was wrong. Just like many of us. We thought we were doing right, but we were wrong. Now, I knew I was lost. I knew I was undone, but I didn't like what I had come in contact with Christian people. I wasn't impressed by the Christians that I met because most of them were hanging out at the same places I was hanging out at. I was raised up in nightclubs and bars and that sort of thing from a very young age. And uh, so I was not clubbing, doing the things that I should not have been doing in the first place, being married. I'd take my precious wife to some of these places, and she detested it. I wasn't of age to get in any of them, so my dad got me into all of them. 
He would buy my beer for me, my liquor for me, all of those different things. That was the kind of environment that I was raised in. How Diane got hooked up with me, I don't know. I guess it's because I was so good looking and debonair. I don't know what it was. But the truth of the matter is, is my, my grandmother from my stepmother's side, I called her grandmother. Uh, she called uh, Vera, which is Diane's mother. And she said, do not let Diane marry Phil. He'll never amount to anything. Such a detriment to be said about an individual's life. I didn't know that until a little bit later on after we were married. But that's what happened. Diane was told not to marry Phil because he had never mounted anything. Because the life that I was living, just like Saul of Tarsus, except in a different way, the life that he was living, he was doomed for a devil's hell. But how many of you know God has something else in mind for him? So, even though he had his letters and had his permission from the, from the priest to go to Damascus and to go into the synagogues and see if there's anybody of the way of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, how many of you know that the Lord realized that? He saw that. He saw something in Saul that you and I would have never found in Saul. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have Saul who became Paul just because his name was changed, you wouldn't let him be the pastor of your church because he would clean house real quick. He would get us all straightened up or get us all out so he could fill it up with someone who would straighten up. And I'm telling you that today that we live underneath the compassion and the mercy of Almighty God and he puts up with a lot of things that go on in the house of God just because of his compassion. Because he loves us in spite of us. He still loves us and wants us to be able to experience all that he has for us if we'll just open up our ears and our hearts and be receptive to what he has to say. To be as loving, as compassionate as he was, he spoke to Paul and he said, Lord, who art thou? He said, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And trembling, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He got born again. How do I know he got born again? Because he called him Lord. He called him Lord before, but he didn't mean it in the way that he meant it then. He said, if I'm kicking against the pricks, he's standing within himself. If I'm kicking against the pricks, I don't want to be kicking against the pricks. What do I, Lord, what do I need to do? What kind of a change do I need to make? How many of you know this was a great and notable day of the victory of the Lord in Saul's life? And the Lord said unto him, he said, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee uh, what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him, they stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, he had an entourage that went with him. And they heard everything that was said, but there was nobody to look at. 
Where was that voice coming from? Well, it had been a good time for all of them to get right. Doesn't say they got right, but it had been a good time for them to get right. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said uh, the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. Inquire in the house of Judas of one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might uh, receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to all thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind uh, all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, remember this verse, and the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Are you still with me? Verse 17, And Ananias, he went his way, went his way, and entered into the house, and putting his hands on, on him said, Brother Saul, What did he call him? Brother Saul. Even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received uh, sight forthwith, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came thither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. So Saul had a mission in his life. God had already given him an assignment. He knew what he had called him to be and to do, and he gave the information to Ananias. And so... Saul's life was radically changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I want to ask you a question. Who did Saul encounter? Who did he encounter? Jesus. Who did you encounter? Jesus. You encountered the same Jesus that Saul encountered. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
a new species in kind. The old things have passed away. Now all things have become new. That became apropos in Saul's life, and that became the same in your life. No man comes to the Father, or no man comes to Jesus except the Father draw him. The Holy Spirit is the agency that brings you and introduces you to Christ. Just like what happened when they brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Guess what? They brought her to the right person. Aren't you glad that she didn't get brought to the rulers of the day? They would have stoned her and left her for dead. But Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on her. He had compassion on Saul. He has compassion on you and I. Even if you still make mistakes in your journey and your walk, all he told you to ever do is to confess your fault. He didn't say you had to come down front and kneel before a priest or for a man of God or a woman of God. He said for you to stand before the Lord yourself and make your confession known unto him and he would accept your forgiveness or he would forgive you. He would forgive you of that which you were confessing out of your mouth. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just like he did Saul of Tarsus. His life became different. He went from one kind of a mission to a different kind of a mission. The mission that he had called him to was to go. I told you to remember the verse in verse 15. What was his mission in life? It was to go to the Gentiles. It was to go to kings. And it was to go to the Jews. What is your mission in life? What's your mission in life? Matthew chapter 28. He tells for us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Gospel is what? Good news. Good news. This is good news. This is not bad news. You know, a lot of people have the idea, and I know as I was growing up, whenever I saw uh, people that called themselves Christians, all they had was a don't religion. You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't don't, don't, don't. Well, is there anything that I can do? Yeah, you can go to church. There's got to be more to this than just going to church. We have to have an encounter an encounter with the master. Jesus came on the scene so that you and I could have an encounter with him. The reason he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. You and I were lost and undone in our trespasses and sin, but he came and he took care of all of it so that we could enjoy the full benefits of everything that God had made provision for and promised. How many of you know Jesus came and fulfilled and satisfied everything that was needful for your life? according to your spiritual life and to your natural life. You're not going to be healed. You already are healed. According to the words, you're healed. According to the words, you're delivered. According to the words, you've been set free from everything that pertains to this natural life and spiritual life. Well, pastor, why do I still have that problem? Sometimes I go the wrong direction and make the wrong decision. Well, it's because you still have an Adamic nature. 
the things that you want to do. Paul the Apostle said, there are things that I want to do that I don't need, that I don't do. I need to be doing them, but I'm not doing them. And then there's things that I don't need to be doing that I seem to be continuing to do. But he, then he goes on and he says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He remembers where he came from. He remember who bought him and the price that he paid to see to it that he was free in every area of his life. Did you know that the Apostle Paul spent most of his time in jail? Most all of his letters come from while he has been bound in jail for preaching the truth. Now, how many of you have spent one night in jail because of preaching the truth? How many of you have ever even spent a night in jail? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) I'm telling you, this Jesus is something else. This encounter that Saul of Tarsus had was meaningful. He wanted to change. He wanted to do right. How many of you want to change? Then it's up to you. And it's up to me. Let everybody call you Mr. or Mrs. Do-Right. Let them call you Jesus freaks. Let them call you whatever they want to call you. Just smile and go on and say, thank God they recognize I've been with Jesus. They They recognize I have been with Jesus. Amen. All that matters is what you and I do with what he has called me to do and to be for him. Go with me if if you would please in your Bible to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. I was going to read this to you out of the Passion Bible, but because of the sake of time, you go, you go and read it out of the Passion. Read it out of the Amplified. Read it out of the Message Bible. And just see what transpired and happened in Paul's life. Some of the words are a little bit easier to be understood because of the versions that you'd be reading. But the principle is still the same. Matthew Chapter 17. What was it that shone round about Saul of Tarsus? It was a great light. It was a great light. And who was it that spoke out of that light? Jesus. Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John. Up to on a special journey up into a mountain, and we'll just set this up. And this is the place where Jesus was transfigured. And it says in verse number one, and it says, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Now, how many of you know that? 
Jesus had 12 disciples that he handpicked. He handpicked 12 disciples. Jesus put himself into 12 disciples so that they would reproduce after what it was that he put into them. And he told them, he said, there's many things that I'm telling you, but you're not ready to do them yet. Although he sent them out by twos, and they went out and they did supernatural things, but he's letting them know that there's coming a point, there's coming a time when I'm going to leave. And when I leave, you need to be a dude with power from on high. And the power from on high is what's going to give you the ability, number one, to be a witness. To be a witness. It isn't just to cast out the devils. It's not just to speak with new tongues. It's to learn how to have a personal encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And with the Holy Spirit that will lead you and guide you and fall in love with God the Father. You fall in love with one, you fall in love with all three because it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All three in one. And you've got all three in one in your life. And it's a matter of you and I just surrendering and saying, Lord, let me be what you've called me to be. And it says, and he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. The word transfigured in the Greek is metamorpho. That is what it is in Greek. It's where we get the word metamorphosis, which is what you see happen with a caterpillar. They go into a cocoon as a worm and they come out different than what they went in, right? When Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he metamorphosed right in their presence. It says a great light came out of him. He came from the inside to the outside. He exposed himself for who he was and they fell on the ground just like the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus of that day because it was Jesus that made the difference. How many of you know that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your light? How many of you know that you are the light? It's not you It's the greater one who indwells you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. In other words, let them experience what it's like to have metamorphosis on the inside. The psalmist said, let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. He said, let God arise. Well, how do you let God arise? You let him arise with the word. He hastens to his word to perform it. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will begin to speak. The words of adoration, the words of peace, the words of joy, the words of comfort, the words of instruction, the words of rebuke if necessary, reproof, so that we can become better at allowing God to flow in us and through us. I've said from this pulpit numerous times, especially when we take an offering up and everything else, he's not trying to get something from us. He's always trying to get something through us. That's the reason we have to open up our hearts and open up our minds so that we can accept everything he has because you know what? I don't know it all and you don't either. That's the reason we need one another. When one is down, then we have strength. When one is discouraged, we have encouragement. When one is sick, we have health. Remember, he said in James, he said, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you in faith with oil and the prayer of faith and save the sick. And if they've committed any sins, it'll be forgiven them. We have something. We're containers to contain the almightiness of Almighty God. On the inside, if we were to come to the outside, you're going to be changed in a moment to twinkling an eye one day. Either by, even if you die in the natural, you're going to be caught up in the presence of the Lord. And uh, when Jesus comes for his second coming, uh, we're going to uh, come with him. And we're going to pick up this old house. And this old house is going to be changed into, in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. The corruptible is going to put on incorruption. We're going to be changed in that fashion. But how many of you know we're changed on the inside already? I just did my brother-in-law's funeral last uh, Saturday in closing. And when I was standing to minister and to share, as I did his funeral and everything, I told him, I said, really, we're not here for a funeral. We're here for a celebration. I said, the truth of the matter is, is why do we seek the living among the dead? That's what Jesus said. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Because he's not dead. He's alive. I told him, I said, Ron is alive. Do you get that? He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. He's more alive today than he's ever been in his entire being. He transitioned from this earth life to immortality. He just transitioned from one dimension to the other dimension that our spirits on the inside are groaning for. Phyllis, my sister, told me, she said, she said, Philip, she said, she said those last couple of days that Ron right before he went to, to be with the Lord, he was just groaning. She said, I don't know what kind of pain he was in or anything else. I said, Phyllis, did you ever stop to think that maybe he wasn't groaning because of pain? Did you ever think that he might have been groaning because he wanted to be clothed with the presence of the Lord? I said, Ron called us together a month in advance to make funeral arrangements for him and what he wanted at the funeral. He said everything in order. 
Because he had an inkling. He told me, I said, look, if you want to go, that's fine. If, if you've made up your heart's mind that that's what you want to do, I can't stop you and I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop you. He was 86 years young. He had already lived a good life, enjoyed his life. But he looked at me with all sincerity. He said, Phil, he said, I want you to do my funeral and I want it to be a celebration. I don't want it to be a typical funeral. I said, you got it. You got it. It won't be typical. We laughed. We had fun. We enjoyed the presence of the Lord because Ron was not there. He was enjoying his first few days of venture in eternity. And we, and I will see him again. Amen. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with the Lord. And he said, oh, and to the Philippians he spoke and he said, oh, that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. He wanted to know him. He found a key and it didn't make anything that he went, make any difference, anything that he went through. He called them light afflictions. Some of the things he went through were not light. But from his vantage point of his relationship, they were light to him. The number of souls that he won into the kingdom, no telling the number. Compassion. They're hurting people out these doors right here. Love them for me. That was the command of the Lord to this church. God bless you.